We are continuing our series uh, on Matthew chapter 5, and we are looking at verse 5. You will find a bulletin, uh, you'll find an outline in the middle of your bulletin, which might be helpful for this particular sermon. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask for your mercy on us, that you will help me to preach faithfully, that the meanings of your scripture is unpacked carefully and faithfully. And Father, may we hear your voice in scripture so that you will help us to submit to you, to respond to you. And Father, we pray that you will keep us from distractions, that you keep us focusing on your word. And we ask this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. One day, a bus driver was driving around his usual route when a big hulk of a man got on. He was huge and built like a wrestler. He glared at the driver and then told him, Big John doesn't pay. Then he sat at the back of the bus. Now the driver was short and thin and very meek. So he didn't argue with Big John, but he wasn't happy. The next day, the same thing happened. Big John doesn't pay. And then this happened again and again and again. And the bus driver began to lose sleep over the way that Big John was taking advantage of him. And finally, he could not stand it longer. He signed up for bodybuilding, karate, judo, self-esteem classes. And in a few months, the bus driver had become stronger, more confident. And then this time, when Big John entered the bus, and Big John declares, Big John doesn't pay, the driver decides to take him on. He stood up, he glared at Big John, and then he bellowed, and why not? With a surprised look on his face, Big John replied, Big John has bus pass. When Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The idea that we have of meek is something like what the bus driver showed us. The bus driver acted in a way that we will call meek when he was afraid of Big John and allowed himself to just be subservient. And the bus driver was unhappy because he was powerless. The bus driver's meekness comes from a position of powerlessness and fearfulness. And it is a weak position and involves not having the courage to fix things. You see, the bus driver was scared of Big John and that was why he was unable to ask Big John a simple question. He had to wait until he got stronger and he had confidence and only then was he able to stop being meek and ask Big John this question. So what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the meek? Is he saying 
that those who are fearful, powerless, not having courage, they are the ones to inherit the kingdom. Is Jesus saying that we must be like that bus driver, fearful, covering? Or have we misunderstood Jesus? Let's find out. Point 2a. When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, we have to remember that the word that Jesus used here is a Greek word that is translated into English. That means there's about 2,000 years of cultural changes, which means the meaning of the word and its context in society can change. Now, just a few decades ago, the statement, he was a gay old man, would simply mean that he was a happy and joyful old man. Today, it means something totally different. So if we flip open a modern dictionary, we will find that meek means quiet, gentle, easily imposed on, submissive. It is a picture of someone who's a pushover and does things to please others. However, if we look at how the Bible uses the word that is translated as meek, which is the Greek word praus, we see a slightly different picture. In your outlines, you will find at the end a listing of a few verses that use the same word as you see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, but is translated differently from meek. These are the underlying words. And if you look at them, you will see that this word that is sometimes translated meek has a rich meaning. So depending on the context, the word for meek can be translated as gentle, humble, afflicted, and poor. Now in Matthew eleven twenty nine, we see Jesus referring to himself as gentle. Jesus is the meek one. Yet at the same time, we see Jesus flipping tables at the temple, chasing away unscrupulous traders who have made the temple into a robber's den. So how do we reconcile these two things? In Matthew 21, verse 5, we see how Jesus is the humble king who comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. He could have come into Jerusalem in a magnificent white horse, and of course, that would be more appropriate to the son of David who comes to rule, but What's the point of stating that he comes on a donkey? In Psalm 22, verse 26, we see here the meek ones, here translated as the afflicted. They have promised that they will obtain a blessing where they will eat and be satisfied. So is he talking about food? The meek are the suffering ones and God will bless them. That much we can get. But does that mean then that God's promises that whoever suffers will be blessed by God? Even Hitler must have suffered because during the end of World War II, he decided to commit suicide. Does this promise then apply even to him? And then finally, in Isaiah 61 verse 1, the meek ones here translated as the poor ones, well, to be fair, I cheated a little. Uh, this translation would be a different word 
which can also be rendered as meek. And the King James Version translates it as meek. So cheating a little bit, but this poor in Isaiah, they receive good news from God that his promise of redemption has come to them. So what do we learn from the meek by looking at all this passage? Well, actually, it's still not clear, isn't it? Because we can't see how all these definitions work together. And the reason is because we are looking at the wrong things. Now, we need to find more than just the direct meaning. What we need to find is what is behind these actions, these circumstances? Why is meekness pictured as gentleness, as humbleness, as afflicted? and is poor. What do these things have in common? Now, one hint, one hint that we have from the passage is that Jesus himself is quoting this verse from our psalm reading from today. Psalm 37, verse 11, which says, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Point 2b. That means we need to come to Psalm 37 so that we can find a key to understand what it means when the Bible mentions the meek. So I invite you to turn there. Uh, Psalm 37 on page 554, page 554. It'd be good for you to follow through because I'm just going to skim through quite fast. Now in Psalm 37, in verse 1, we see that the recipient of this message are the righteous ones. They are the meek ones who will inherit the kingdom of God. And they are reminded here to not be afraid of evildoers and not to desire to be like them. And the picture here is that of faithful people who are afflicted by the evildoers. Perhaps they are taken advantage of, or they are being bullied, or they are directly oppressed by evildoers. But here in verse 2, they are reminded. The evildoers will fade away in light of God's judgment. And so they are called here to remember God keeps his word and brings judgment. Then we see in verse 5 that their trust should be in God. They are to respond rightly to God and therefore they are to be hopeful and waiting for God's vindication. Their trust is in God who will bring righteousness and justice. Then in verse 8, we see that not only are they to continue trusting in God, they are commanded to refrain from anger and wrath. And they are to do so even when evildoers seek to take advantage of them. They are called to not be afraid, but trust that God will judge the evildoers. And they are asked to wait. To wait on the Lord to bring justice. To wait on the Lord to give them their inheritance based on God's own timing. And then we come to verse 10 which again assures them, don't worry, the wicked shall not last forever. And the psalm then moves on to the promise in verse 11, which echoes our passage for today. 
But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The hope here of the promise of God fulfilled as peace and ultimate rest with God. So as we see this portrait of the meek in Psalm 37, we don't see fearful people who let evildoers do what they want out of fear. Instead, what we see is a call to God's people to be strong people who restrain their anger and keep their sights on God's promises. So friends, meekness in the Bible isn't about being weak, but it is about being strong enough to be gentle. More than that, meekness isn't actually just about how you behave towards others. It's actually talking about something inside you that manifests itself as gentleness and humbleness, even when you are poor, even when you are afflicted. So the psalm shows us that true meekness is actually about having a mindset that places trust in God. So the meek person is the one who trusts in God and is able to live out a gentle and humble life even when oppressed and afflicted. In fact, they're probably oppressed and afflicted because they trust in God and they will not behave as the world does. And with that, we come to point 3a. The meek person, therefore, is a person who looks to God's word and trusts in them. And here are some examples to help us think through what meekness looks like. God's word tells us that vengeance belongs to the Lord. So that means the meek person won't try to exact revenge or to force justice by their own strength, but rather they trust in God to bring that forth. So they will rely on the government which God has enforced, God has placed, and rely in legal ways to bring justice. And so that's why Jesus tells us, turn the other cheek. That's why Christians are told to not sue one another. And that's why we are told to submit to the authorities. The meek person will trust that God is working out his will through the leaders that he has appointed. And this doesn't change even if you don't personally like them. This doesn't change even when they abuse their powers. Because if we trust in God and God is sovereign, then we know God is in control despite the circumstances. And friends, this is why Paul tells Christians to pray for their leaders. Even when Paul himself was under the rule of Emperor Nero, who was killing Christians, the meek person will be someone who perhaps suffer through financial difficulties. And they suffer through this because they want to do what is faithful to God. So perhaps they're not able to perform as well as others because they refuse to use illegal or underhanded ways to gain promotions. 
Or perhaps they choose a less paying job, a less better paying job, because they want to make sure that they can attend church. They want to make sure that they have time to serve. And friends, if these kind of examples of Christians suffering out of their faithfulness to God reminds you of your own struggles, your own difficulties, then blessed are you, for you shall inherit the earth. And that shows us that what you are demonstrating in your character, in that meekness that you present, is the right character as a person who is part of God's kingdom. It reminds you that you will inherit the promises of God. It reminds you that your suffering right now will one day bear fruit when Christ comes again. When you come into possession of your inheritance, the kingdom of God. Point 3b. However, many of us struggle to be meek in our lives. And even when we are able to, we often find it difficult or after a certain amount of time, we fail, we lose our patience. But in Christ, we see the perfect embodiment of the true meek man. See, while it is true that Jesus Christ flipped tables, chased out people from the temple, you will notice that he does this in response to what others are doing to dishonor God. Jesus is not doing it out of a personal slight to himself. He does not personally benefit from this. And so, to see the meekness of Christ, we need to see how he behaves when people come against him, plotting to destroy him. So, we see how he stopped Simon Peter, who took a sword and cut off the ear of a guard when they came for Jesus. And then we see Jesus coming and healing that cut ear. And this is despite the fact that this God was here to bring Jesus to his death. In Jesus, we see how he was silent before his accusers, just like a lamb before his shearers. What was happening here? He was trusting in God because he knows he must be wrongly accused and must be sent to his death. The scriptures must be fulfilled. And all these things Christ did, not because he was weak, but because he was meek, which means he was strong to trust in God and was able to act in this way that shows his trust of God, even unto death. Think about his prayer for those who accused him and crucified him. He didn't pray for God's judgment to fall on them. He didn't pray for them to be cursed. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is the picture of meekness gentleness even to his oppressor. In Christ, we see the full dimension of meekness being expressed. 
He is the gentle one turning the other cheek, pointing them to God, challenging them to repent. He is the humble one coming into Jerusalem on a donkey to show the humble character of this king who has come. He comes into Jerusalem not to bring glory to himself, but to point others to God the Father. He is the poor one. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He has never sought material treasures. He is the afflicted one. He is the man of sorrows who was abandoned, crushed for our sake, abused by those in power, rejected even by those who knew him, betrayed by his own disciples. Jesus suffered all of this not because he was weak, not because he wanted to please people, but because his trust is in God. So he remained gentle and meek even when bullied. He remained humble even though in truth he is the exalted one. He stayed poor because he was not seeking treasures of the world. And he allowed himself to become the afflicted one because he loves God. So Jesus is the true weak person to whom belongs the entire world. And then point four, what does this mean to the people at that time? Now that we understand what true meekness looks like, we need to ask the question, why is Jesus telling people that? And the context tells us, these people that Jesus is preaching to, these are those who will inherit the kingdom because these are the remnants of the exile. These are the ones who have remained faithful and are seeking God. To these people, Jesus brings the news of the kingdom, not to the high and mighty those who have decided to use their power to oppress others, those who are comfortable where they are, those who don't care about God. So as this message comes to these poor and oppressed people, those who are desiring God to rule over them, and they hear, the kingdom of God is upon you. And what would be their response? Perhaps they're thinking, now is the time for change. Now is the time for reversal. We can form an army, chase the Romans away, reclaim Israel for our own. We are not scared of the Roman army. God has shown that a tiny army can win against a large army. We have God's chosen king with us. Or perhaps they're thinking, we have Jesus, this great teacher. Through him, we can get rid of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We can kick Herod out of the palace and install Jesus as our new king. And we can change the leadership of Israel. But what Jesus is doing by reminding them to be meek is he's pointing to them. If they have been people who all along have been trusting in God, to bring his kingdom. Then they should continue to be doing it. 
they should continue to be gentle and humble even in the face of those who opposes them and Jesus. They are now being called by Jesus to continue suffering righteously, to continue losing opportunities all for the sake of being faithful followers of Jesus. So they are reminded here to not use force, to not rely on their strength to achieve the kingdom of God. God will bring his kingdom. Even when Jesus dies, they are called to be those who seek to be faithful to these commands, to live according to how God wants them to live. They are to be a people who leaves vengeance to God. And they are called to be people who turn the other cheek. They are to be humble and gentle. In other words, they are to be like Jesus. So what does this mean to us? Point five. We can immediately see that we too are supposed to trust in God and his plans. And that would mean we too have to submit to the authorities because God is the one who put them in power. And how would that look practically? Well, we don't try to badmouth our leaders. We don't try to join in on protests that are considered illegal. And the thing is, these are things that the world will say, you know, you're fighting for your rights. And instead, you make your protests within the system. You follow the law and you seek to honor and keep the peace. You continue to act meekly even if that doesn't work. And the result of it is that you are persecuted and oppressed. Think of the persecuted church in China you can see very clearly their meekness. They do not call for armed revolt. They do not call for them to fight against the government. Instead, they urge people everywhere to pray for those who are suffering under the regime. They show their meekness even in the face of such terrible injustice. Blessed are they, for they shall inherit the world. Perhaps you're someone at work who's being bullied, or you're suffering at work, and the temptation would be for you to gossip as a way of getting even, as a way of getting revenge. Or perhaps you might have opportunity to badmouth those who are bullying you to the bosses. But remember, we are called to be meek. We leave justice to God and seek to respond in humility and gentleness. Even when we are wrong, we are called to be meek. Meekness is something that seems to be totally against the wisdom of the world. It is considered so foolish that the definition of meekness has changed from this idea of strength and gentleness to weak pushover. Yet as we look at the Beatitudes, 
as we see the wisdom of God telling us how things should be, we see that God is calling those who inherit the kingdom to be strong enough to trust in God. Not to rely on their own strength, but to be still and know that He is God. So would you listen to the Beatitude and seek to be meek? Would you take a look at your own life and look at the parts where you should be meek but weren't? Would you repent? Would you look for areas in your life that you need to work on so that you can be more Christ-like in your meekness and character? Would you look at Christ and see in his meekness strength, strength to follow, strength to trust in him, strength to emulate? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this message today. And Father, we pray that as we struggle to be meek, as we struggle to trust in your justice, in your wisdom, in your way of getting things done, Father, we ask that you will help us to continue trusting even when things become bad, even when we are oppressed. Help us, Father, that we do not seek to return bad things with bad things, that we do not seek to find our own vengeance on others, but give us the strength, Lord, the strength to respond in humbleness, in gentility. Give us that strength that Christ had as he responded to those who had wronged him. And Father, we pray that as you work in us through our spirit, as you bring out more and more of this character of Christ, that you will be glorified. And we ask this in our Lord Jesus Christ's most precious name. Amen.